as little moving around as possible help me preach this sometimes those things can be distracting not just to me but other people so let's pray lord i thank you for this word tonight i thank you for speaking through me even now the holy spirit moving upon every person i thank you lord for that even where they're at right now they sense the presence of the lord the Holy Spirit coming upon us to give us good soil, hearts and minds and lives right now. As you speak through me, your word of living seed to truth, sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. And those seeds will take root in all of us and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. The parable of the seed and the sower. Or let your word go out and the Bible promises it will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it for to do. And Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal it. So let's agree together. Lord, I thank you that anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way, in Jesus' name as a church, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You will back off this word right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that this will get everywhere it's supposed to and accomplish everything it was sent for to accomplish as the winds of your spirit carried out among the nations. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for it now. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm talking about the coming move of God, and last week I read Kenneth Hagin's prophecy, and he was dealing with casting out demons. Do you remember that? That was a powerful word, wasn't it? And he felt that there's a coming move of God where the casting out of demons and things that have hindered ministries would be dealt with in a very powerful way. I read that last week, but now I'm going to read the second part of this prophecy. And he goes on to say this. And secondly, says the Spirit of the Lord, you have not seen the revival of divine healing that you're about to see. Wow. He said, oh, yes, you saw those I raised up. You've seen men and women mightily used of my spirit. I sent them forth as a pilot program to train you, but many just looked at them and lifted them up, and some of them were lifted up with pride, and the anointing left them. And some became money-minded and lost the anointing. But there will arise a group in this day that's a brand-new breed that will not be greedy for filthy lucre. They are not wanting to attract attention unto themselves. They would not care less whether God uses me. They'd rather God would use you. And God will not just use ministers, he'll use laymen. And there'll be a revival of divine healing such as you have not seen in your lifetime or read about or heard about, says the Lord. And a revival of the supernatural. Now this is interesting here. And a revival of the supernatural. Not only the supernatural and casting out devils, not only the supernatural and healing the sick, not only the supernatural and speaking with other tongues, but the supernatural in a realm of the seen realm, men will see the glory of God. A cloud will hang over certain congregations, even church buildings for days at a time. And everybody that passes by sinner and saint alike will say, well, what in the world is that? I've never seen anything like that. And there will be in other places the fire of the spirit. Oh, yes, in the spirit realm, some of us have seen it. In the spirit realm, we've been conscious of the fire of God, but the fire will actually come into manifestation. There'll be people, sinners as well as saints, that will see the fire of God over the heads of the people. 
There'll be people driving down the street or driving down the highway and they'll see fire on the tops of buildings. And they'll come in and say, what does all this mean? But you see, the Lord will use signs of his presence to bring people in these last days into the fullness of the spirit and into salvation. And signs, signs, what kinds of signs? Wow. Lord, let it come. I believe with all my heart that Kenneth Hagin was not only a mighty man of God, but I do believe he was a prophet. And God used him to release words like this, and they were very accurate. I believe that he had a glimpse of the last great revival before the Lord comes. If you read the first part of the prophecy, which I did not about casting out of demons, he also said in there, that it would be like all of the different moves of God coming together, all the different aspects of them, and then more. And that God would release that. And I believe that. I believe we'll see a move for souls that will far exceed anything that happened, for example, at Cane Ridge or Wells or what we saw at the altar calls of Brownsville. It's far going to exceed the healings and miracles that took place in the 40s and 50s and in greater deliverance ministry than the Argentine revival and people like Derek Prince. So I believe that. Baptisms in the Holy Ghost with fire impartation, far greater than the 90s revivals. I'm here hungry to see more. But you know, it's, it's a hunger, isn't it, that draws the Lord. The Bible says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. It's a hunger and a thirst. So I want to deal with right now, not just with the healing ministry, but I want to deal with the deliverance ministry of Jesus. One of the things, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me just read these scriptures, Luke eleven twenty. Now, Jesus' ministry of deliverance was controversial. <laughs> I mean, remember reading the stories of Jesus' ministry of deliverance. I mean, they, they didn't mind that he healed people per se, but when he started casting out demons, what did the religious people say? They said that you cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, which was Satan. And they went on to say that you have a demon. They said Jesus was demon-possessed. In other words, what they were saying was, was that he's some kind of a, a, like a warlock, a witch doctor or whatever. And they were saying, you're doing this by the power of demonic forces. The religious community. The same yesterday, today, and forever, right? <laughs> All right, so Luke eleven twenty though, Jesus is dealing with this, and he says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, I want you to remember the finger of God. So picture you're standing there, and you're commanding the enemy, and you're pointing your finger at the, the demonic realm, and you're saying, you will leave right now in Jesus' name. So it's, it's authority, which I'm going to explain. And then in another place, the Bible says in Matthew 12, 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's two different descriptive terms here. I believe when Jesus was talking about the finger of God, I believe he was referring to a, a Greek word that is exousia, and it means spiritual authority. So exousia has to do with us standing in our office of authority and commanding the enemy to leave. Okay, there is an authority. And I think many times 
Christians are asking the Lord to do something when he's expecting us to use our authority. Do you remember the story? This may not be the best example, but Moses, had God had given him that rod, and he had an authority to take that nation out of there. And he got to the Red Sea, and he was stuck. And the Pharaoh's armies was closing in on him. And Moses started crying out to the Lord, go read the story. And the Lord basically said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, Moses, why are you calling out to me? Lift up your rod. And Moses lift up his rod, and the waters parted. The rod always speaks of authority. So the Lord many times, I see Christians do this a lot. They get in trouble, and it's spiritual resistance, spiritual warfare, something going on. And they're saying, oh, Lord, help. Oh, Lord, help. Oh, Lord, help. And I can just hear the Lord saying, quit asking me to help and use your authority. You have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. If you're a true believer, we have authority to cast out demons. I read it last week. These signs follow them that believe. In my name, what? They will drive out demons. Speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. But we have authority. We have so much authority, the Bible says, and gives us this picture that wherever the soles of our feet tread, God will give us like a dominion. It gives us, in Jesus, the Bible says, and think about your hands, that we lay hands on the sick and they're healed. There's an authority in our hands. I think the problem is here. The Bible says these signs follow them that believe. I think that's the problem. We have to have faith, and we have to use our authority in faith. The Bible says what we bind will be bound. What we loose will be loose. Loose means destroy. So we have authority to bind, but we also have authority to destroy the works of the devil. So we need to use our authority with a boldness. But then also, the Bible says, but it is by the Spirit of God. I believe that that is referring to the Greek word dunamis. And it's where we get the word dynamite from. And it means like explosive power. Okay? So we have authority, but God also clothes us with power. And the power of the Holy Spirit will destroy the works of darkness. There was a man of God that I really love, a minister. And he was ministering for years in prison. And he would get these people saved, and then they would go out, and, and they would get back into the same old stuff, and they'd come back into prison. And he was in there for years, and he was so frustrated because he was seeing this revolving door. And he was to the point of wanting just to completely get out of the ministry because he was so fed up with seeing that. And he got really desperate. How many knows when we get desperate? And he went out and began to seek the Lord, and the Lord really baptized him in the Holy Ghost with fire and really anointed him. And God began to show him. He showed him a vision. And it started like this. There was a man that was there that was worshiping, and he had had some serious health problems in his stomach. And as, as he was ministering, he saw this guy standing there, and there was like this rat gnawing at his stomach in the spirit realm. He saw it like a dark vision, if you will, of that rat. And so he commanded that thing to leave. You know that God was healed? And he had had that condition for a long time. And so that began an odyssey where he began to learn about getting people freed up. How many knows that you can call Lazarus out of the tomb, 
but you still need to get the grave clothes off of him. And so we have authority and we have power. And once this man of God was empowered, he was clothed with the power of God. He began to deal with the demonic forces that had had those men that were in prison so bound. They were bound to addictions. They were bound to all kinds of perversions. And he began to drive the demonic out of their lives and liberate them. And he said that after he got them free, they were leaving and they weren't coming back anymore. They were walking in freedom. So there is a liberty. In Acts 10.38, it says this, You know Jesus of Nazareth. I love this scripture. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You ever really thought about that scripture? A lot of times we quote things and hear things, but we don't really meditate on it. Have you ever considered that the way the Lord views this is that all the things that Jesus did, y'all just look this way, everything Jesus did to heal, to deliver, all that he did, he did, the Bible says he was setting people free that were oppressed of the devil. So it was like the influence of the evil one in one way or another. And I wrote down some things I wanted to, to share. So deliverance and healing both were normal parts of Jesus' ministry. Jesus ministered in deliverance just as much as he did healing. In fact, they flowed so well together in perfect harmony that at times they seemed to be the same thing. Let me explain. There were times that Jesus would, remember the Mount of Transfiguration, he came down and the disciples were saying, can you pray for this kid? We couldn't get him delivered. A young man and the father said, please pray for him because there's a tormenting spirit in his life that is causing him to go into convulsions and collapse and it tries to throw him into like fire or water and tries to kill him. And he's been tormented like this for many years and, and he said, please help him. And the disciples were saying, we haven't been able to get him delivered. And Jesus said, these kind come out by prayer and fasting. Y'all remember the story. And Jesus cast the demon out and the boy quit having those uh, convulsions, those seizures, whatever it was, that was had him bound and was trying to kill him probably a spirit of death whatever that was jesus cast it out of him but there were other times that it was directly connected to physical healing in fact there was a story where there was a woman who was at church and she was bowed over and she couldn't stand up and she was in a locked position with something wrong with her back that caused her to walk like this everywhere she went. She was hunched over and she couldn't straighten up. And Jesus was ministering there on the Sabbath. And he goes to her and puts his hand on her back and says, Woman, you're loosed of your infirmity. And the Bible says that a spirit left her. There was a spirit of infirmity that left her and she straightened up. Of course, the religious people can't see the forest for the trees. So instead of being happy that the woman was set free. They're mad at Jesus because he prayed for her on the Sabbath. The religious, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And so Jesus set this woman free, 
But you saw here that there was a physical infirmity that was a demonic thing. And she was healed because she was delivered, you see. So Jesus' healing and deliverance ministry overlaps sometimes. There's other stories like this. But he said this, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be set free today? A daughter of Abraham. Jesus didn't go to the pagan nations. He ministered to God's covenant people. And those were the people that he was calling to follow him, to see them deliver from the demonic, see them healed. I think many times people think that, oh, it's on these, these uh, third world places where there's all this uh, crazy stuff, these, these pagan worshipers and all that. Well, yeah, they, they have their issues, but, but these were people of covenant, God's covenant people that were not given to idolatry and immorality, etc. Think about that. And these were people that were in bondage the Lord had to liberate. Now, here's a thought. Did you, have you ever thought about this? Much of what we call today, 2023, here in America, much of what we call typical church and what would be normal to us is absolutely nothing like the book of Acts early church. Did anybody ever really think about that? If you were to take the Apostle Paul, let's say that we come up with time travel. I think that would be neat, but it would also probably be problematic. And we've ever seen Superbook. You know how they travel back in time? Okay. All right, so if, what if we could go back in time and we could snatch the Apostle Paul and we transported him to the American church and now the Apostle Paul is looking at the American church today how foreign would most of this be to him? The emphasis on certain things and neglecting so many other things. For example, the deliverance ministry. In the same way, if you were to take much of Christendom today in America in 2023, and you were to time travel them back and plop them down in the book of Acts, they would, they would go berserk because they wouldn't know how to handle the supernatural that was taking place around them because it would be so foreign to them. You know what the problem is? When the Lord comes and he comes in revival and he begins to do Book of Acts Christianity like he's always done because he actually is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he comes and he heals and he delivers and there's demonstrations of his spirit's power and all these things, the gifts are in operation. You know what the problem is? The church is so far removed from Book of Acts Christianity that they think it's weird. When in actual fact, it's actual normal Christianity in the Bible. The people of Jesus' day, now here's another thought I want you all to see. The people of Jesus' day certainly recognized the reality of demons. And they had some form of deliverance ministry to see them set free. Did y'all know that? You've read that and probably never really thought about it. But Jesus was confronting those same people, remember, that were saying, you're, you're basically a witch doctor. You're demon-possessed. They're telling this to Jesus. You're demon-possessed, and you're doing all this by the power of demons. And Jesus is like, look, how, is Satan going to cast out Satan? 
And this is when he's having this conversation. I'm driving them out by the finger of God, by the spirit of God. And the kingdom of God has come upon you. But Jesus made this statement. He said, well, by, by whom then are your people casting them out? Remember that? So the religious people that day, the Pharisees and Sadducees and those that were religious leaders of that day, they had come up with some kind of a deliverance ministry. And you see that again in the book of Acts because you see there was a Jewish priest and there were seven sons of a man named Sceva and they tried to get a guy delivered. And they had been doing this. But whenever they went and they said, we're casting you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They said, we know who Jesus is and we know about Paul, but who are you? And the guy jumped on them, beat them all up. Remember the story? But my point is, is that they did have people that were performing some type of deliverance. Now, here's, here's my thoughts on that, the way I see it. It was understood under the law of Moses that there was spiritual cleansing that would happen. And through what was going on in the temple, people would be spiritually cleansed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I suspect that through cleansing them, they were able to command tormenting spirits to leave. Does that make sense? I think that they had, this is just my opinion, okay? I think that they had come up with something like that to help them get spiritually clean and then command things tormenting them to leave. And I think that it was effective up to a point. But here's something I want you to recognize. All of the miracles that Jesus did, physical healings, even raising the dead, supernatural provision. Remember when he multiplied the loaves and fishes? Even control over the forces of nature, like turning water to wine. All of that had been done before through people's lives like Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. So I think up until a certain point, I could see where Jesus would have just been seen as a mighty prophet like Elijah was. But it was almost like God reserved something specifically for Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as a sign that had never been done before. And you know what that was? Casting out demons. When Jesus came, that's why, if you, if you think about it, that's why when Jesus came and he began to minister, they would say this about him. Who is this man that teaches with such authority that even the demons obey him? They had never seen that. They never read about that. Because under the, the law and the prophets, I mean, Moses like turning water to wine, turn water to blood. People, people had done things like, um, remember Elisha that, or Elijah that had that woman that kept multiplying the oil, etc. There was a lot of things that were going on. I mean, Elisha had an axe head float in water. So they had read about all of this control of forces of nature and supernatural healings, and both Elijah and Elisha saw uh, somebody raised from the dead. But they were amazed at something that seemed to have been reserved for Jesus. That he ministered with authority that even demons would leave people publicly. Now keep in mind, because sometimes people want everything that's supernatural should be in a back room quietly. Well, okay, there might be a place and a time for that. 
But Jesus' ministry was very public. He publicly called people to follow him. He publicly prayed for the sick, and he publicly cast out demons. And the people would fall down before him. Some foamed at the mouth. They shook violently. They let out, you know, screams, etc. Same thing happened through Philip when he went to Samaria. And he had, with shrieks, people were delivered from the demonic. I'm trying to prepare you guys for something because we've seen this before in River of Life quite a bit. But I really believe that God's about to pour out his spirit in these last days. And as God begins to bring in the harvest that he has for us, I believe that God's going to liberate people. And I want you to be ready because there's going to be powerful deliverance. So I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I do need to touch on it. And I'm just going to give you some things to think about. So my job tonight is just to give you information and then you take the information. You can study it on your own if you want to. You can draw your own conclusions but I'm just simply giving you information. Now, the Bible isn't really clear about the origin of demons. So where did they come from, and what, what are they? Now, see, here's the deception. If you see some of the... Satan has, like, this deceptive thing going on out there. True men and women of God that know the Bible and know what they're doing, you don't really see that in television shows there's a reason for that what you see a lot of times with the ghost hunting and things that are out there these people that are not christian that really truly are dabbling in things that they need to be very careful with they go to haunted places some of you know what i'm talking about others maybe you don't but they go to these haunted places and they start trying to stir up the spirits that are there and here's what they do they bring in some witch that's like some type of a psychic to come in and feel it out for them. They use instruments to try to gauge what's going on. And they, they try to get things freed up. Listen, they're playing with stuff that they don't know what they're doing. And many of them, I believe, have gotten infested with stuff, and whether they realize it or not. But my point is this. Those of us that have studied the Word and actually know what we're doing and know how to handle these things... It's a direct confrontation with the power of Jesus Christ over demonic spirits, okay? You understand? It's, it's a confrontation, and it's a using our authority. So what are demons? Because in these particular shows I'm referring to, they're always trying to make it sound like that they're dead people. Yet the Bible makes it very clear that when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. You don't roam the earth. Zami knows when you die one day, you're not going to roam through a cemetery somewhere, freaking out teenagers. Okay, you're not. And you're not going to roam some house, messing with people while they sleep or whatever. That's not what you're going to do. If you're really right with the Lord and it's real, you'll go to be with him. If you're not, you're going to go down. So what are these beings that are roaming the earth that the Bible calls demons and the word devils is not a good word for that. It's a King James thing. But demons, meaning evil spirits or unclean spirits. Well, there's some really brilliant Bible scholars that have studied this out. Number one is that when Lucifer fell from heaven, he was cast down 
and we see in the book of Revelation, it, it shows his, the tail of the dragon brought down a third of the stars with him. And it implies, if you read other portions of scripture, in uh, Ezekiel, it talks about Lucifer's fall. And then it also talks about in Isaiah, the I wills, I will ascend and all of that. But it seems that Lucifer fell and took a third of the angels with him. But these are angels, okay? Now, some say what's well, the same thing as demons. Well, maybe, but I, in my opinion, I, I question that. And I'll show you why in a moment. Now, others have said this, and I'm just giving you information. If you want to believe it or not, that's between you and the Lord. Study it out yourself. Others have said, well, when God came on the scene and created the earth, they would say, wait a second, there already was an earth. God never said, let there be an earth. The earth was there. It was in like a flooded, destroyed condition. And then God began to separate the waters and he began to, you know, create this garden of Eden and, and, and put the sun, moon, and the stars and all that. But it was already there. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall to the earth like lightning. My personal opinion, science has concluded that there was some kind of an asteroid that struck the earth meteorite hit the earth and it brought you know worldwide destruction they might have tapped into something there could that have been lucifer's fall with a third of the angels that god threw them to the earth and then destroyed it whatever was on there whatever was on the earth when lucifer was thrown down on the earth was flooded and destroyed and it was in a destroyed condition but Lucifer and those fallen angels, see, were confined to the earth like a penal colony. They couldn't leave, and it was totally dark. There was nothing really here. How long, how long ago was that? God didn't say, let there be an earth. I mean, how ancient is the earth? And then, I'm not going to get into this. I'm just going to mess with your head because you'll be thinking about this tonight. How old is the earth actually? And why is God so fascinated with the earth? What goes back to Lucifer's fall and before that, was there something on the earth? Could that have been when everything was destroyed, when Lucifer and the angels struck the earth and God flooded and destroyed it? Could that have been the time frame that all these dinosaurs and all that were wiped out? And if so, what was on the earth at that time? So some Bible scholars believe maybe there was some type of pre-Adam, pre-Adamic race, and maybe that's made up evil spirits when they were destroyed. I don't know. I don't really lean to that as much. But here's, another, here's a third theory. I think there's something to this. This is in your Bible, and some, some people have never read the Bible, so this is like, you know, when you start talking about it, right? It just blows their mind. But the Bible indicates in Genesis chapter 6, that some angels, some fallen angels came down and began to have sexual relations with women and began to produce Nephilim on the earth. This is a, a hybrid race, angel and human race. This went on for like over a thousand years because this happened in the days of Jared. And then it goes all the way to the flood of Noah. Think about over a thousand years. That's a long period of time. So these beings, I mean, filled the earth. They were giants in those days. And the Bible records violence and et cetera. I don't want to get bogged out, down on that because I could go on a rant for a long time about speculating how it was. 
But God eventually flooded the earth through Noah and totally destroyed all of those Nephilim. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate by the time it got to the flood, it says that before that, God had allowed the righteous to die before that. Have you ever read that in Genesis? Go back and read it. Before the flood, God had been systematically allowing the righteous ones to die. They weren't going to share in that judgment, you see. And it says about Noah, he was blameless in his generations. It meant in the Hebrew, you can look this up, he was pure in his blood, his DNA. So he wasn't a part of that hybrid race. But it's possible that there wasn't too many people that weren't by the time it got to the flood because God was allowing the righteous ones to die off. He raptured Enoch out. So anyway, God floods the earth. So after over a thousand years of procreation going on like that, how many beings do you think could be created over a thousand years? Millions upon millions upon millions. Now, when the earth was flooded, I'm just telling you what some Bible scholars believe and speculate. When the earth was flooded and all these beings, Nephilim, were destroyed and they died, then the question is, since they were not human, they certainly didn't go to heaven, but because they're not human, they did not go to hell. So the book of Enoch says this, and it may very well be true. I'm just giving you this that they began to roam the earth as disembodied spirits. That could be where they come from. Dead Nephilim. Wouldn't that be weird? But it could be. But regardless, I'm going to let you decide what you want to believe. I'm just telling you the theories that are out there. Now, with that said, let's just stick now with what the Word says. Angels seem to have bodies. Demons do not. So in my personal opinion, we're not dealing with the same thing. Now, angels also seem to be, from what I understand, the way I see it, they seem to dwell in what we call the second heaven, and they make up principalities and powers. Whereas demons do not have a body, and demons roam the earth as disembodied spirits, and they're trying, they want so desperately to be inside human bodies. Why? So they can live out their lust through them. Because they can't do things that they want to do without a body. So they need to possess a body of some kind to do them. And they're so desperate to get in a body that when Jesus cast those out of the demoniac, remember, they said, please don't let us leave the region. And he let them, he allowed them to go into the pigs. They would have rather went in pigs than to be without anybody at all. Think about that. So demon spirits don't have bodies and they're, they're desperately wanting to get in bodies. And the theory that many hold to and I believe is they want to dwell in bodies that they no longer have because they want to live out things that they can't without a body. For example, if they're very lustful spirits, then they need a body to be doing fornication and sex acts and all of that that they want to be doing. If they don't have a body, how can they do it? You see what I'm saying? And so you're dealing with these spirits that roam the earth. Now, Bible's clear that they're there, and interchangeably, the names of demons, evil spirits, unclean spirits are kind of all 
different descriptive terms for the same thing. So I'm not going to debate about all of that. I'm going to let you draw your own conclusion because that, some people may want to think that angels and fallen angels and demons are the same thing. Hey, that's, uh, that's okay. And others may say, well, I believe they came from this. I believe they came from that. You know what I think? I think if God wanted us to know a lot about it, he would have told us more. I think he wants us just simply doing what Jesus did instead of arguing about it. Amen? I think he wants us going out preaching the gospel, and he wants us commanding, if somebody has an evil spirit, commanding it to leave them in the name of Jesus. And he wants us to pray for the sick, and he wants us to make disciples. I think that's what God wants us to do. You know what the devil wants us to do? sit around and fighting about where demons came from or if, if the person has a demon in on around them floating above them or whatever. Well, it's like, listen, quit fighting about stupid stuff and let's just do what Jesus did. If there's a spirit there that's not supposed to be there, why don't we just get rid of it? <laughs> Amen. All right. So operating an authority over demonic spirits. I believe as Christians, we have a lot more authority than what we realize. I really do. I believe that especially when we come together, the Bible seems to indicate that if one can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. And the Bible goes on to say things like this. If two agree on earth, it will be done. So let me just give you something to think about. God gave dominion to Adam and his wife Eve over the whole earth. I think there's something there especially in this context where a husband and a wife really agree together and you're really in agreement and you command, you use your authority in Christ over the devil together, hell will move. You understand? There's something there. And I believe with a church, the Bible says, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind will be bound loose, loose. I believe that when we come together collectively and we really agree together, and we take authority over the enemy, the enemy's going to flee. That's why Satan works so desperately hard to keep us divided. And most of the division is over petty little doctrinal debates. That's what almost 90% of it's about. And it's rooted in pride because knowledge puffs up. I'm right and you're wrong. It's pride. The Bible says, but by pride comes contention. Meaning, in the way we would say it in modern English is, the reason you're all fighting is because of pride in your midst. If people will humble themselves, then that fighting will start fading. And Satan knows all too well a kingdom divided can't stand, so he's always trying to keep us divided. All right, so we have authority and we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's time. I believe that things have been going a certain way for a while. Since the 90s revivals, things have really waned. It's gotten to an all-time negative in America. And it, it's at a place, things are becoming very desperate. But it's also historically, desperate times is when God sends revival. And God can turn everything around. And it can turn pretty quickly when revival comes. Usually revivals only last a couple years, and it changes millions of people's lives, changes nations. 
So God can turn it around on a dime. We just need to press into him. So with that said, whenever we minister, let me just give you something to answer maybe some questions. How many knows when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sin of the entire world? Would anybody argue that? Pretty basic doctrine. Jesus died for the sin of the world. And I can prove it with scripture because John testified of him and said, there's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of what? The world. Jesus died for the whole world. Yet, how many people are really taking advantage of that, laying hold of that? Not very many. If you look at the entire world, billions of people, how many people are truly born of God and repent of their sin? Very few, really, in percentage. That's why Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many find it. And there's a narrow way that leads to life, and few find it. All right, so Jesus died for the world, and then Jesus paid for sickness, didn't he? Would anybody argue, Peter said he bore in his body our sin, that we can die to sin, live in righteousness. By his wounds, by his stripes, we were healed. Isaiah 53, by his stripes you're healed. So it's in the covenant. Jesus paid for it. It's definitely available to us. But my question is this. Is everybody walking in perfect healing and health? No. It's something that's got to be laid hold of, pressed into by faith. It's available. Jesus paid for it. I believe as much as you do, it is available for us. It's accessible. But we've got to lay hold of it. In the same way, Jesus paid for our deliverance at the cross. There's no doubt about it. Galatians 3.13, cursed as he was hung on a tree. He paid for our complete deliverance. But yet, is every Christian really walking in perfect freedom and victory? No. Many are still struggling and have infestations in different areas of their lives. They've either gotten in their physical health, they're mentally tormented, they're emotionally tormented, there's strife in their family, and sometimes these things are not even the person's fault directly. Let me give examples. Sometimes things have moved down family bloodlines Sometimes, believe it or not, and this does happen, sometimes even trauma in the womb, a demonic spirit can attach itself to a a little baby in the womb. Did you know there's a true story about a person, they got delivered from a spirit of rejection, powerful deliverance, and you know how it came? They were an unwanted pregnancy. That's how it came in their life. So things also, see, don't associate evil spirits with the way you think, like there's some type of restraint or mercy or something like that. These beings are not like that. So let me give you another example. Somebody maybe has gone through a severe trauma in life. They were raped, they were molested, they were traumatized. Evil spirits love that because many times they can, pounce on somebody that's traumatized let me give other examples maybe sudden loss of a loved one tragic maybe through a car wreck or something some tragic loss and and it's horrible but the person goes into a deep dark depression the enemy would love to pounce on them 
with some type of a tormenting spirit that keeps them oppressed and they can't break out of that depression. Other areas, believe it or not, even this, somebody um, has to go through some type of physical trauma and, and they, uh, through severe sickness or something, or maybe they, they have uh, surgeries and different things like that. The enemy would love to pounce on that time of weakness with some type of a spirit of infirmity or something. So just because somebody's tormented by demonic spirits does not necessarily mean that they were just out living in sin and opened a door. I mean, that certainly can happen. It does happen. But it can be the enemy takes advantage of any opportunity he can. And so don't be judgmental, critical. Now, there are obviously... When people start getting into sin and start violating scriptural principles in their life, absolutely sexual immorality. Some of the main ways that people pick up spirits is through things like occult practices. That would be probably number one on my list. Idolatry, the worship of other gods, and the occult. People that have messed with that at all, there could be a spirit in your life because of that the second big biggest way is sexual immorality sex outside of marriage between a husband and a wife that's one of the main ways people picks picks up spirits in their lives and the third way i would say would be through some form of substance abuse defiling your body with substances things like that different ways that that the body is is defiled marked up cut up different things and number four would be through violence and bloodshed. Anytime that there's violence and bloodshed of any kind, then there can be tormenting spirits that come in, okay? That's why many times places that are called haunted, what that really is is that they're simply <coughs> demon spirits that dwell there. If you go back and you research the history of that that house or that building or that land, you'll find back somewhere that somebody was a practitioner of the occult there or there was violence and bloodshed or there was some type of sexual activity there that opened the doorway for demonic spirits to get there and now they roam there. And so what you have to do, let's talk about once somebody realizes that they need to be delivered from things, is there really truly a place of peace and health and rest physically? Is your body really in divine health? If not, and you've really prayed about it, consider that your body might be oppressed by some type of demonic activity. And let me show you this. When Jesus came, he came to minister to Israel, God's covenant, people is everybody following me these were not the pagan nations and he said he went about doing good healing all oppressed of the devil so sometimes if you're praying for someone and you anoint them with oil in the prayer of faith and there's not a victory there and you really pray about it you might consider that they could be under the oppression of a spirit of like infirmity or a spirit of death and when that leaves, then the healing will come, okay? Also, 
How about mentally and emotionally? Is your mind at peace? Or do you have tormenting thoughts or phobias? Do you have irrational fears? Do you have trouble sleeping at night? Do you have nightmares? Do you hear strange voices at times and you're wondering what was that? These type of things can be a sign that maybe there's something tormenting the mind. Tormented emotions. Are your emotions frazzled? Do you have an issue of being easily angered or easily getting violent? Or are you given to depression? Things like that. There's, there's emotional demonic things that can oppress people emotionally. Also, sexual vices or any, any type of thing where there's a compulsion, there's a drive that you feel like you want to stop doing things, but something is really driving you to continue to do it and you don't want to do it. That's a sign that you're dealing with, maybe, maybe you're dealing with a spirit. And it could be sexual in nature or it could be things that have to do with substance abuse. Somebody says, I've really tried to quit this, but I feel like when I really try, then something rears up and I end up falling back into it again. Well, you might need deliverance. And the Bible says a spirit of bondage. And so many times people are bound to something like that. Jesus wants to set you free. Amen. So I could go on, but you get the idea. Are there areas that are tormented or there that you don't really have rest? You really don't have peace. There can be demonic spirits that operate in realms of like poverty and lack where somebody feels like they, they just struggle financially and they don't know why. They feel like every time they get ahead, something comes and eats up all their prosperity and sets them back and they're frustrated. Also, there can be demonic spirits that are always stirring up strife and conflict in a family. And it's like easy to fight, difficult to really get along, but easy to fight. And there's like some kind of a strife, a spirit of strife there. I'm just giving you areas. I, I'm not getting into a broad spectrum of dealing with curses and generational curses and all these sort of things right now. Signs of a curse, signs of spirits and getting real deep with it but i'm just trying to give you something to think about because many many christians jesus has come to set us free he's come to heal us wherever we need it by them heal the brokenhearted heal people mentally heal people physically jesus paid for it he paid for our deliverance he paid for our healing but we've got to lay hold of it we've got to get desperate about it and let me tell you if you are, in fact, dealing with a spirit, you will never truly get the victory in that area until you deal with it as a spirit and you command it in the name of Jesus to leave. See, people suppress these things. They may deal with something and they keep it kind of suppressed. They keep it under control but it's like there's just something there and, and they they know that they're struggling in an area they may not be giving into that area all the time but they're really wrestling it and they know something isn't there and they and they think to themselves well maybe this is just my battle you know it's my cross to bear maybe it's just my flesh and it could be because the flesh can be a real problem amen 
But you could be dealing with something that's not the flesh. You could be dealing with a spirit. And in, if you are dealing with a spirit, until you confront it and you command it to leave in the name of Jesus and really drive it out, until you do that, you're probably going to continue to wrestle the rest of your life. And that's a shame because the Lord doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be free. And think about this. It's a reward for Christ's suffering when people get saved. It's a reward for the stripes on his back when people get healed. It's a reward when people get delivered from the demonic that the Bible says cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. He hung there in agony for six hours. He was bleeding, hanging on that cross. He was paying for our deliverance. It's a reward for his suffering when, he, when we're delivered. So the way that we get delivered completely, and that's something that God's going to have to show each one of us if there's still something there, but I would say that if you're living a righteous life and you're really living for the Lord and you're having stubborn struggles that you don't understand because you've prayed about it, then you might consider that there might be some type of a spirit that is causing that problem. And I would recommend dealing with it as a spirit. That you confront that thing, bind it and drive it out. So... How do we get the victory? Well, number one, we need to cancel the legal ground. So if there is some type of a sin or something going on, then we need to ask the Lord's forgiveness. And I can't get into a real deep teaching about this, but generational curses and spirits, it's not overly complicated. You just need to pray about the sin that was in your family that allowed the thing. Something opened the door. How many knows that the enemy only can come in where somebody opened a door somehow? You know what I'm saying? For there to be generational spirits and generational curses and stuff like that, somebody in that family got into the occult or there was some sexual immorality or something. But once you really confess and repent of that generationally, then you can remove any curse and drive out a spirit. So number one, though, is deal with the legal ground. So, for example, let's say that there was a place that was known for being haunted or whatever. So obviously there's a demonic presence there on that land. You go back and you research. Let's say that you, being a Christian, have purchased that land. And whenever you purchase that land, now... You own it, and now you're dealing with something there, some type of a spiritual thing. And you know that, and so you go back and you research why is it there, come to find out that the land once was owned by somebody that was a witch, and that there was all kinds of things that went on, went on that land that was going on that was an abomination to God. And little wonder that that land has a spirit on it. And so here's what you can do. You own it now. So you can go in there, maybe take communion with you, and you begin to pray, Lord, this is now my property. And I ask forgiveness for all this sin and iniquity and all this stuff that went back to witchcraft and whatever was on this land. And you really ask God to cleanse the land. 
if there's been any bloodshed, if there's been violence, if there's been sexual immorality, whatever was here, Lord, we confess and we repent and we thank you for the blood of Jesus cleansing this land. You can take communion and as an act of faith, you may pour out some of the the juice on the land and say, Lord, we bring this land under the blood. Once you cancel legal ground like that, then you can give an eviction notice to that spirit and say, you have to leave this land and never return, and it has to obey you. But even if you command it to leave and there's, you didn't deal with the sin, it may leave, but it's going to come back. Is this making sense? So you have to deal with the legalities here. Why is it there? Once people really cancel the legal ground, it's pretty simple to begin to dismantle and drive things out. Another thing is you need, after you cancel legal ground, you need to destroy the works of Satan. There are works of the enemy. There are things that have to do with curses and there ha there's bondages, there's addictions, there's strongholds. Whatever it is in somebody's life that has them bound, the Bible says that we have authority to loose Loose means to destroy that thing. We have the authority to destroy the works of Satan. And the Bible says that the Son of God appeared, what? To destroy the works of the devil. So the third thing, once you cancel legal ground and destroy the works of the enemy, is drive the enemy out. And we have to, to take our authority. And you need to deal with the strong man first. So if there's a strong man, confront that one. But some of you are, are praying, and you're praying like this. Lord, I've got a child that's in rebellion, that's away from God, and I'm, I'm praying for them, Lord, that you move in their life, that you do this, that, and the other, and you're praying for them, and that's good. You need to do that. But I would add that maybe you need to do this. And in the name of Jesus, I bind the satanic spirits that are at work in my child's life. And I command you to be bound in the name of Jesus and you will release them. You will release their mind. You will release, you'll come off their eyes that they can see. I break your power off their ears that they can hear. I break your power off their hearts that they're going to be softened. You will leave them and you will let them go in Jesus' name. And when you begin to take authority over the devil, you're going to start noticing something different. Don't just be an intercessor asking God to do it. Let's use our authority over the devil and command him to release. Isn't this the same thing with the harvest field? The God of this age has blinded their minds. We can pray the Lord the harvest and we've got to do that. But we also must understand that there's a spiritual warfare over the harvest. Amen? And so there has to be an area where we begin to use our authority and say, Satan, we bind your influence over this harvest field. You will release them right now in Jesus' name and begin to use our authority. And finally, once people get delivered, you better live a holy life and don't get back into whatever opened that door. You know, Jesus one time healed that man that was a paralytic by the waters. Remember, the angel would stir the waters. He couldn't get in. And Jesus healed him. And then later, the guy found Jesus and was thanking him. And Jesus told him, now listen, don't go back into sin again that nothing else come upon you. Remember that? 
And Jesus taught us this, and we need to take his word seriously. He said when an evil spirit leaves, it goes through dry places looking for rest. It's looking to find another place. And then it says it will go get seven others worse than itself, and it'll try to go back to the home it was at. And if it's able to get back in there and take seven others with it, he said then the latter condition would be far worse than the initial. That's why we got to make sure that if we're going to start delivering people, we better make sure that they've accepted Christ. Amen? Because you start just willy-nilly driving stuff out of people's lives and you're not getting them saved. How are they going to be protected from that thing coming back? And even worse, in the same way, if you're going to get God's people delivered, which that's what Jesus paid for is for us to be delivered as his covenant people then we better walk in holiness because if we're going to go back into the same stuff, then it can come back on us even worse. So we must live a holy life and also put on the armor of God and stand against it. And let me just close with this. Jesus's deliverance ministry, and sometimes people, here's the thing. Why do you think it's so controversial? It's interesting, if you really, if you were to somehow pull back out of this and look at it, it's interesting that Jesus did as much deliverance as he did healing. Why is the deliverance part controversial? Why is it so divisive? I'll tell you why. Because the demonic realm doesn't want people knowing about it and operating in it. Because they, here's the thing. If, I want you to think about this for a moment. There's a, there's a literal devil if you were the devil and you had to strategize how to defeat God's people and how to keep them from ever being effective, one of your strategies would be to keep them oppressed by evil spirits and then make sure that nobody ever teaches them how to get free. That way they never are able to really be what they need to be. Also, your strategy would no doubt be this, to have churches oppressed and infested by spirits and never let anybody preach about it to get that church liberated. So that, Satan's little fifth column is always there, you see. That's what the enemy wants. And that's why it's controversial, because the devil makes it controversial. And people want to argue silly things about, you know, I love David Hogan's ministry and I, I love how God has used him, but he, would, he doesn't have to deal with all this nonsense that goes on here in the States. He's out in the mission field. And he come, I heard him say this. He said, is, he, is there ministering deliverance to people? He said, you know, here in America, you want to sit down and argue about, is, are they oppressed or possessed? Is it in them, on them, around them, above them, following them around? He said, here's my advice to you. Just get rid of the demon. And then he just goes back to the mission field and does what he's supposed to be doing, you know. But that's what the devil does. He creates all this weird uh, divisions and all this nonsense. And that's his goal is to keep everybody fighting and arguing about the silliest things that don't amount to anything. Listen, bottom line is if we're going to function in the power of God and we're really going to do what Jesus did, then there's going to be times that demonic spirits are going to be manifesting and need to be driven out. The goal is 
to not sit around trying to doctrinally debate about it. Let's just get rid of it. So I'm not going to argue about whether you think it's in, on, around, or whatever. I'm just getting rid of it. And I'm not even going to use a lot of the words, obsessed, oppressed, possessed, all these different things. Bottom line, if there's something there, let's command it to go. And I would say this, we've, we've had, I've seen a, a lot of people delivered through the years, and I've got some very interesting stories. But Jesus' deliverance ministry was very loud, public, and demonstrative. He didn't hide it. You know, did you ever read where Jesus was ministering and this demon cried out? And Jesus said, oh, hold on. Gets, gets Peter and them and said, listen, guys, go quiet that person down and take them to the back room. We'll meet them after the meeting. And then him go back. What did Jesus do? In front of everybody, Jesus says, come out. And then the, the guy would, you know, go throw in his seizures, foam at the mouth, yell and scream, and the demon would leave. And then everybody would say, wow, look at the power of God. Jesus never hid it. Another thing I want to bring out as I close is the stigma. What about those that have been delivered? You know, some places, definitely not here, but there are places where if somebody was to ever get delivered, <clears throat> they would never go back there again because they would feel like there's a stigma attached to it. And that's, that's a real indictment against us as, as a body of Christ, isn't it? That the very thing, when Jesus came to this earth, what did Jesus Christ do? He called people unto repentance. He healed the sick. He delivered the demonized. And us, we should be doing what Jesus did, and there shouldn't be a stigma attached to it. Where people feel ashamed because they had something. It may not even be their fault. Sometimes there, there, there's people in their family lineage that open doors or something that happened to them as a child. And they're tor they've been tormented their whole life because maybe they were molested as a little kid. Is that their fault? And then in the middle of the church, God delivers them and it's obvious they were delivered from the Spirit. What are they supposed to now be a victim all over again by being rejected by the church? Do you see? That? How do you think the Lord feels about that? So this ministry is probably the most neglected, the most misunderstood, and the persecu most persecuted in Christianity. And I believe with all my heart the reason why is 100% because Satan is afraid of it. And the devil is doing everything he can to silence anybody that has the guts to talk about it. And he wants, to, he wants to create all kinds of controversy and persecution against anybody that will rise up and say, we're going to drive out the devil out of people's lives. He says, well, stir up the religious Pharisees. Do whatever you got to do. Go against that guy. Shut him up. Intimidate him. Stop him. Because he wants to make sure that his, all his little minions are not going to be challenged, see. But I love something Steve Hill. A lot of people don't know this about Steve Hill. I sat in his ministry for a while. And um, he talked about this, and a lot of people don't know that. I was there. He preached a sermon called Strike the Viper's Nest. And he said this, he's, and I quote, and I have, it on, I have the sermon CD. He said, a lot of people pray for revival, but when revival comes, he said, all of a sudden, Sister So-and-So, 
that was this religious lady in the church starts manifesting a demon collapse on the ground. And he said this. He said, and he was talking about strike the viper's nest, and he was saying this. He was saying the apostle Paul went to the Isle of Malta. You remember that? And he said he created, they created that fire. When the fire came, the snake that was hidden in that wood leapt out and bit him. And he was saying, see, people want to pray down the fire of God, but when the fire comes, the snakes are going to get stirred up. And he understood that because all those years in Brownsville, you know as well as I do that they were demonic spirits they had to deal with. They had to. They work in the altars. So anyway, that's a part of revival. And maybe before this is over, I'll tell a bunch of stories I've seen through the years of people getting delivered. But I'm telling you that when deliverance comes, I have personally seen things like this. I have seen stubborn health battles in Christians healed through deliverance i have seen people that have had mental illnesses they were even on medication that when they were delivered they no longer had those conditions i have seen people that have been emotionally tormented they were given to things depression anger whatever their emotions were all over the place through deliverance now i'm talking about deliverance when the thing left their emotions, they no longer dealt with that. I have also seen people that have dealt with all kinds of issues in life, tormented by sins that they wanted to quit doing, but they struggled, and then deliverance came, and they now could walk in victory over those things. God wants us free. Jesus paid for our freedom. Let's lay hold of it. And let's help other people get free. Amen? All right. So, Lord, I thank you for this sermon tonight. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. And, Lord Jesus, the Bible says about you, you've come to deliver the captives and set those free in darkness. Lord, I thank you for your deliverance ministry. I thank you, Lord, for stepping in and driving the devil out of people's lives. And I believe in River of Life, I really believe that this is a time Let's pray about some things that there may be some people that's had some stubborn issues you've prayed about and you've wondered why in the world have I not gotten the victory in this area? Let me just suggest to you maybe, it may not be, but maybe you're coming up against a spirit that's trying to block what God has for you and what Jesus obviously paid for you to have. Let's drive out any trace of the enemy, any residue, any stubborn thing. You remember how Brother John Davis would pray, get out of my head, get out of my heart, get out of my home, get out of my family. That's right. Let's begin to drive the enemy out of every trace of our lives. So, Lord, I thank you for the victory. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. You grant to them that ask, live without finding fault, wisdom and understanding as to what we're dealing with if there is something there i thank you lord for your wisdom and understanding to come to see it and lord i thank you for the grace to see that thing delivered and victory come in every area and we thank you for it now in jesus mighty name amen all right well god bless you guys